Well, I like real estate just because uh, I, I like the benefit of being able to uh, have a mortgage pay off real estate over time so that when I retire, I have something. I like the fact that it's boring. I want to be able to be uh, entertained and travel and do a lot of things in my retirement, and that boring investment of real estate allows me to do that. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. This is episode 1190-1190, and today is a 10th episode show you regular listeners know what that means. That means we discuss something of general interest, something about life success, something that will make you more effective. And uh, today we're talking with Steve Jones, and we're talking about how there is no off season and the constant pursuit of more. And by the way, we have some other really great 10th episode shows coming up today. One that I actually postponed. And why did I postpone it? I postponed it in honor of Mother's Day. Yes. <laughs> you'll see later. Uh, I'm not going to tell you Just wait two what weeks. I, yeah, just wait a couple of weeks and you'll see. So we're not going to do that one now because, heck, it's just not the time. We will have some really good. I recorded a great 10th episode show today too, Adam. Adam's with me. Adam, how you doing? I'm doing well. Good to be back. Hey, it's been a while since we've recorded. Uh, I didn't record with you since I went to China. Yeah, so, no, you uh, went across the world and forgot all about us. Yeah, I did. I did. But now I remember you. Anyway, I recorded a really good 10th episode show today, and we'll get that out maybe 20 episodes from now. So that'll be coming up. Okay, so before we dive into the constant pursuit of more, let's talk about someone who is into the pursuit of more but some are calling this guy hashtag billion dollar loser. And these people doing that are just stupid. They just <laughs> don't understand the way income property is the most tax favored asset class in America. Boom, boom. This person that we're about to talk about, the hashtag billion dollar loser, is someone, Adam, that I think we should say you don't like this guy, do you? He's not my favorite. I'll give him that. But it's amazing. These people are saying he lost a billion dollars over 10 years. And I can say, I have started a business that ended up losing me money. But I don't think anyone in their right mind is going to run a business that loses them a billion dollars in 10 years. Yeah, it's simply because the idiots talking about this do not understand how the tax law works. By the way, just so you know who we're talking about, we're talking about President Trump. And, you know, he's a real estate guy, right? And he's really our first real estate president. 
and he takes massive depreciation write-offs. Now, let's go back to basics here, folks, and let me explain just briefly depreciation, how it works. Adam, chime in at any point. When you buy an income property, the IRS considers that a business asset, and any business asset, like say it were a machine in your factory, or say it was a truck in your fleet of trucks. It's just a business asset. It's just business property. And the IRS knows that someday that piece of equipment in your factory or that truck in your fleet will just wear out and it will have no economic value. So they allow you to depreciate it on a schedule rather than taking the write-off all at once when it eventually just stops working. Yep. They, they give you a schedule. No so, roof lasts forever. Yeah, no roof lasts forever, no property lasts forever, although properties are pretty darn durable. But if it's a single-family home, the IRS kind of arbitrarily, as the result of probably an army of lobbyists, frankly, it's nothing to do with the real life of a property, they say that a, a home lasts 27.5 years. That's the depreciation schedule they allow. Then it falls and, down. Yeah, then it just falls down. It has no value of all, at all. And they say a commercial property lasts for 39.5 years. Okay? I guess those commercial properties are a little more durable. Okay? <laughs> so the point is, as an investor, you want the schedule to be as short as possible. Hence, one of the other benefits of investing in residential real estate as an income property investment because the depreciation schedule is 25% faster. And we wanna take our depreciation as quickly as possible. We don't wanna wait 39 years, we wanna take it in 27. You know, forget about the 0.5, I'm rounding off. And in fact, I'm rounding the wrong way. You're supposed to round up when it's 0.5. Anyway, whatever. Um, here's the other thing, Adam, people gotta understand. When you buy a property, you're buying two major components. One is the land. The land is not depreciable. The other is the improvement. That's the house or the apartment building or the skyscraper, the industrial property, whatever it is, sitting on the land. That's the part that's depreciable. So you have to divide up the two components' values. So you have to allocate a value to the land and allocate a value to the improvement, the structure sitting on the land. And the structure component, the improvement, that's the depreciable part. And you get to depreciate that on the schedule. So let's say the house is worth 100,000 and the land is worth 20,000. You listeners in Miami, New York City, <laughs> Dubai, London, Hong Kong, Los Angeles, Seattle, San Francisco. I know these numbers seem crazy to you because they're so cheap, <laughs> but that's the way it is in good markets around the country. So we're gonna take $100,000 and we're gonna press divide and then we're gonna put 27.5 and we're going to see that we get $3,636 of potential, and that's complicated, but I'm going to say it's potential, depreciation write-offs every year for 27 and a half years. And the reason I say potential is because 
depending on your income, you may not qualify for the write-off. But then there's a way you can qualify for it, even if you have a high income, like Donald Trump. Okay? So that's complicated. We've discussed it on prior episodes. Not going to do it here. Too complicated. Adam, any thoughts, anything I didn't cover in that example? No, I just think it's important to realize that one of the reasons it's important to understand this is because you hear all the talking heads and they might scare you away. But it's important to realize that these things, he at one point, Trump said, you know, he didn't pay any taxes and he would have been an idiot to do it. And he's right. You can yeah. look at these tax returns of the real estate developers and the real estate investors. Whoa, it, whoa, 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 Adam, Adam, you got to stop. You got to stop. Folks, uh, hold, hold on. I just want to make sure you rewind that and hear that Adam said Trump was right. <laughs> because that's the only time you're ever going to hear that ever. Oh, no, we're going to do another episode <laughs> pretty soon where I talk about how he's right in another way. Oh, really? Wow. Hey, Adam, <laughs> you're becoming a Trump fan. I can't believe it. Whoa. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, once you take all that depreciation away, it can make your tax returns a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you're not going to hear that because, well, first off, the people who are talking about it on the, on the TV and the radio don't invest in real estate. And second, it's too complicated for them to kind of turn it into a soundbite. It's a whole lot easier to say billion dollar loser than, oh, accelerated depreciation made us all this right. stuff go down. Absolutely. Absolutely. So depreciation, understand this. The reason income property is the most tax favored asset class in America is because if you want a write off, if you want to get a tax deduction in any other way, Basically, there's two ways to do it. You can either write a check and spend money for a business expense, right? You could buy some advertising, hire another employee, you know, invest in some equipment, right? All of these things could give you a tax deduction. Or you could donate some money to charity, okay, and take that charitable donation as a tax deduction. But with income property, you get the deduction without writing the check. That's the beauty of depreciation if you qualify for it, okay? And, you know, we want to say talk to your tax advisor. There's the, there's the standard disclaimer. We're not tax advisors. But you can get a deduction that is a what's called a non-cash write-off. It's a non-cash write-off. It's a phantom write-off or a phantom deduction. You don't pay to get it. In fact, the property could be appreciating, yet you get depreciation as a tax benefit. Imagine that. It's like the best deal ever. Yep. You got your cash flow, you got your appreciation, and people are telling you you're making a bad investment, technically. <laughs> oh, the media, the media. Adam, I'll make bad investments you, like that all day. Even you as a Austin liberal, non-Trump fan, you must admit the media is just out to lunch, aren't they? Mm -hmm. it's, and it's, now I will say in property tax states, when you were talking about the land value and the improvement, you have to be careful with your um, property taxes because the way they can solve some of their issues and charge you more is they just up the value of your land. They, right, they, they assess the value. Oh, oh, you mean the, the, the way they apportion the two? Yeah, like we yeah. had our uh, Austin just this last year double the land value of every home in the city. So our home, the land value went from fifty to $100,000 just in one year. But is that with overall appreciation? Obviously, you didn't have that much appreciation in a year, but did they say that the property just appreciated overall or did they say the land component got just bigger? the land. 
the land component got bigger. Our home went down just a little bit, but it was mm -hmm. the important part is you can't contest that part of your property taxes. And so now your base just got higher. Which part can't you contest? You can't contest your land value at all. You can only contest your improvement. What, how, how is that? I mean, really? Mm -hmm. The city determines what your land is worth. And then you huh. can contest how much the home on the land is actually worth. Whoa, that's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. Welcome to property you know, taxes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Texas is getting, um, I think that generally speaking, every company or place or state, it kind of like starts out as one thing and it makes a name for itself on that. And, you know, a lot of people take advantage of it, like Texas, for example, being business friendly, right? And uh, having low taxes. But after a while, they just water it all down. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of sense that that's happening in Texas, you know. Yeah, and, and it's one of the things that hurts the hybrid markets is that like right now, if we had no mortgage payment and nothing, we would still be paying $800 a month for just property taxes. So you, it, that just kills cash flow yeah, all around. Right. That's tough. Yeah, that is tough. Well, yeah, Texas and, you know, New Jersey and New York and, you know, many places have very high property taxes. In Texas, though, it is offset a bit because, you know, the no income taxes, but also the tenants think they're getting away for free because, they don't pay income taxes and they think, well, if I rent, I don't have to pay property taxes either. But really, a lot of that is passed through in the rent, of course. Uh, so, you know, that's a long discussion. But anyway, that's the basic idea. Okay, so look, folks, Trump is not a billion dollar loser. This is not a political statement. Yeah. I'm just saying he's brilliant enough to be a real estate investor. And you should be brilliant enough to do that too. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a great thing. It's the most historically proven asset class in the world. It's the most tax favored asset class in America. And I remember during the campaign, one of Trump's tax returns that was in question, I think it was for like 1995 or something, I want to say, it was released illegally. Someone just hated Trump, had the tax return, and gave it to the New York Times or something, right? And I thought, what are they complaining about? What he did was completely legal. It was smart. I mean, I take every depreciation deduction I can get. Everybody listening should do the same. Show me a single person who wants to pay more in taxes. Yeah, not even Warren Buffett, who is such a hypocrite. But anyway, that's another story. Okay, Adam, we are going too long. We got to get to our guest and talk about no off-season. Hey, it's my pleasure to welcome Steve Jones. He is CEO of Allied Universal. That is the largest security services company in North America. He's author of the new book, No Off-Season, The Constant Pursuit of More. He's a former college football player, became an incredible CEO, uh, built an incredible organization. And he's here to talk about how his career, if you will, in sports really translated into a phenomenal business success. Steve, welcome. How are you? Good. Thank you very much for having me. Good to have you. Where are you located? I'm in Santa Ana, California. Oh, fantastic. I used to live there <laughs> many years ago. Things really do overlap, don't they, Steve? Uh, the things we learn growing up, the things people, uh, the discipline they acquire in the military or in athletics, they translate into business, don't they? Absolutely. Those are life lessons and the life lessons that you get every day. 
you know, you can either form good habits or you can form bad habits. And I think some of the good habits that you form early on uh, translate later later on into your business career. Yeah, they certainly do. You know, in the book, you've got a whole bunch of different things that you cover. There's no way we'll have time to cover all of these things, of course, in our, our short talk today. But take us through, you know, maybe a few of these lessons and a little bit of your story, you know, the injuries and, you know, maybe what you learned from those and, uh, and, and then, you know, translate that into business, if you would. Yeah, sure. I think the first part is just leveraging kind of my past experience with youth sports on having to, you know, work really, really hard to try to accomplish something as a team, having to learn how to function within a team. So I think, you know, the youth sports, that entire experience, whether you're a little kid or up throughout high school or throughout college, of having to, in many cases, you know, you're working for a boss, that boss might be your coach. You've got teammates, which would be your coworkers in business. And, you know, you've got goals that are set out and you're learning each and every day, uh, you know, what you have to do in order to achieve those goals, the work that you've got to put in. And I translated in college, you know, if we wanted to run uh, or in high school in football, if we wanted to run a play successfully, by the time we ran it in the game, we ran that play hundreds of times over the summer and in practice during the week, hundreds of times, right? I mean, you'd run it over and over and over again. Matter of fact, the you know, all you'd hear is a coach's whistle and he'd say, do it again, run it again. And, you know, I, I say to our salespeople all the time, you know, how often do we prepare and practice for our presentations for new customers, right? This is our one opportunity. This is our, this is our Saturday night game or a Friday night game. You only get one shot at it. And how often do we do it again and again and again and again until we have it down perfect and so we know how we're going to run it. So it's just little analogies like that. I think, you know, from an injury perspective, I unfortunately had to battle through a whole bunch of injuries throughout high school and, and throughout college. It still uh, you know, allowed me to, to uh, achieve my dream of going off and playing college football. I, I did dream some pretty big dreams and aspirations of you know, one day playing in the NFL, and unfortunately that, that didn't happen. But what I learned through each and every injury is no different than what you learn later on in life in business, right? In that you know, you're going to set up a goal or you're going to have goals, you're going to have visions, a vision for your company or a strategic plan for your company, and you're going to hit roadblocks. <laughs> and it's really how you deal with those, right? And so your ability as a business leader to be able to persevere and overcome uh, obstacles that are thrown your way really is going to make or break your success of your organization, your success as a CEO. So, mm -hmm. you know, again, I, I, I look back at my experience in youth sports and saying it would have been really easy for me many, many a times to say, you know, why me? And it's not fair and, or use it as an excuse, or, you know, you found a way to fight through it and to continue to make your dreams happen. And I think that really translates well into business. It's interesting. You just made me think of it in a different way because, I, I, you know, I'll tell you, Steve, the one thing that has maybe just shocked me more than anything in, in the business world uh, is how sleazy some people are. <laughs> I mean, they'll just take advantage of you without even a second thought or any bit of remorse, you know, <laughs> it just blows my mind. And, you know, that's the same thing I would guess in athletics. I mean, look, the the opposing player, the opposing team, they're out to get you. And, you know, the same is kind of true in business, even though it sort of seems more civilized in a way. But people are really out to get you. And instead of, you know, wallowing in, oh, it's not fair and, and this kind of stuff, you know, uh, just know that instead of an opposing team, you've got competitors. And, hey, they want to bring you down. You know, <laughs> that's exactly what they want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, the ball isn't always going to bounce your way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. I have two young children. I get a chance to go watch their 
watch them play sports every weekend. And, you know, uh, one of them is a very highly competitive baseball player. And you watch the calls at the plate. And sometimes they're all over the place, right? And, and I tell them that every time, it's like, look, you can't control what the umpire is going to do. And to your point, you know, sometimes it feels unfair. They're not calling uh, balls and strikes, you know, the way you think that they should be called. And you just, you know, you just got to persevere, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can give up and quit, or you can figure out how you persevere and how you find a way to win. And to your point, you know, if there's, you know, whether it's dealing with all the challenges in business, you got a competitor that is, uh, isn't acting responsibly. You've got you know, former employees that, uh, you know, aren't doing things uh, the right way, uh, maybe trying to compete against you in a wrong way. I mean, you've, you've got to figure out a way to persevere through that because that's, that's just life. And it's just, as you said, it's just like, uh, it's just like business. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Okay. So in terms of uh, comparing sports to business, I mean, you know, it's sort of easy to say, Hey, you got to persevere. You got to just keep going no matter what roadblocks get in your way. What else? So I I think, I I, I think, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I give this speech. I go up to my, uh, I played football at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Uh-huh. I go up there once a year and I speak to the team. And I tell them, I think this is the greatest internship you could possibly have. One, mm-hmm. you've got to learn to function as a team. Mm-hmm. And so on the football field, that's you know, 11, 11 guys on, the, on one side of the ball, 11 guys on the other side of the ball. You've got, you got a whole other team behind you that you're practicing with. And if you can't function as a team player, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to be successful. And so in business, being able to function as a team is incredibly important, incredibly mm-hmm. important. The planning processes that you go through. So just like in business where you go through strategic planning, you're figuring out what you're going to do specifically, what steps you're going to take specifically next year to accomplish you know, the strategies that you've laid out for your business. That's the same thing in sports. You've got 10, 11, 12 games, and each week you're, you're determining what specific things you're going to do that you're going to have to execute on to be able to win and to be able to be successful. Talked about the, the, the perseverance, the determination. I think the ability to deal with winning and losing in business and in sports, you know, being a good winner is one thing, but you also got to be able to deal with losses, right? And it's how you recover from those losses and the lessons that you learn and how you challenge yourself to be better. And I truly believe in business. Look, no one's going to have a perfect business career. I don't care how great they are. There's going to be a roadblock you're going to hit. There's going to be a down year. I've built an incredibly successful business. And look, there's been challenging years. You know, your ability to be able to, to be able to handle that and to be able to make changes and figure out what you're going to do is, is incredible. The other thing is, this is probably the number one thing I tell our employees, and I think you learn this in sports, which is to put your ego in your pocket. And, and what I mean by that is the greatest player I can have on my team in business is someone who would be a, is a utility player that I could use them anywhere. They're, they're there. They'll help the company out anywhere they go. And in sports, you know, uh, not everyone can be the starting quarterback, right? And so you've got to learn if you're not the starting quarterback, you can either quit and not play, or you can be the backup quarterback. You can be the scout team quarterback. Uh, you can go play special teams. You can go play another position. There's other ways you can help the team. And I think that lesson translates so well into business because, you know, not everyone's going to be the superstar. Not everyone's going to be the CEO. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's going to be the, you know, the head of sales, but there's going to be other positions in the company that are going to be so important for the success of the company. And if you get, can get people to put their egos in their pocket and to be a team player, now all of a sudden you've got a culture that's unstoppable. Okay. So good points. So first of all, let's take the team one. Certainly every team has infighting, disagreements, uh, resentments, all these kind of 
you know, human things, envy, pride issues, all the all these, you know, things that have been, you know, with us since the beginning of time. How do you do that, though? What are the mechanics of that? Because when you're on the field of the football field or the, the field of business, right, the field of life, how do you put that aside? Do you fight it out and have that kind of cathartic experience? Or do you just shelve it? And then try and win the game. You know, like what are some of the techniques for keeping that team cohesive and, and dealing with that those battles? It's a great question. So we, and it's funny um, when I started uh, Universal, you know, we were a small little company, or twelve million in, in revenues and four hundred employees, and today we're seven point one billion with two hundred ten thousand employees. And I incorporated the locker room, and so we used to get together once a month, and I get the key leadership team together once a month. We would close the door and, you know, anything could be said. You couldn't attack anyone personally, but you could talk about, you know, the performance or lack of performance or what you needed support or help on or what the challenges or what sort of bureaucracy was getting in the way. We still do that today quarterly. It's a significantly bigger team. It's probably the size of a football team now, locker room, because given the size and structure of our company, but it operates almost identical to a sports locker room. So the, the answer to your question is in sports, those are the types of things that get worked out in the locker room, right? So when you come together and the coaches aren't there, it's your peers that you're working through those issues. If you leave those issues hanging and you don't address them, if someone's not performing or someone's not giving it their all, or someone's sick or they don't want to play, they don't want to be on the team anymore, they've got a bad attitude, if you don't address those issues in the locker room, if you get out on the field and you wait to try to let them just handle themselves on the field, you end up losing. And it's the same thing in business. If you've got someone that doesn't want to be on the team, they're not 100% bought in, uh, their heart's not into it, they're just not capable of doing the job. Maybe it's the Peter principle, right? We've been over level of incompetence, right? Yeah, I love the level Peter of incompetence. Yeah. yeah, in your locker room, if you're not talking about that and you're not addressing those things, again, in a, in a very professional manner, again, not attacking people personally, but if you're not addressing those, then they'll spill over to the business world and you'll have you'll have failures. Just out of curiosity, you know, you mentioned the Peter Principle, and I'm really glad you did because it doesn't seem like anybody talks about that old Peter Principle anymore nowadays. But how would you not attack someone personally or at least have them not consider that an attack? You're in this meeting, right? Or you're in a huddle. Hey, you've reached your level of incompetence, right? (laughs) How do you do do that? I'll tell you, I mean, I've had that speech many times with people where I say, look, I love you to death personally. You're giving it everything you got. But unfortunately, your skill sets to do this job, they're just not a perfect match anymore. This is my fault for putting you in a position where you can't succeed. And, and we, we need to put you in another position where you can be successful for the company. I've had, this, I've had this conversation numerous times with employees and where we've had to move people around where, you know, what might seem like a demotion. And I've been very fortunate, again, that I've had a team that for the most part has been able to keep their egos in check and they want to be on the team and they want to be part of the success that we're going to have. And they've taken the hit kind of personally to their self-esteem and they've ended up being incredibly successful going forward with us in a, just a different role, right? doesn't mean they're a bad person, just means they're not the right person for that role. Yeah, good point, good point. Uh, unfortunately, though, in a small business, sometimes you don't have another role. A little, little, so, yeah, little, yeah, little more challenging yeah, in a yeah, small business. You're yeah, absolutely definitely, right. I mean, definitely. You, got, you got a dozen employees, you just may not have a spot for that person, right? right? Yeah, yeah, and you just got to come to terms with that. Anything else you want to say or elaborate on? Maybe a question I didn't ask you. You know, the only other thing I'd say is, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I run into a lot of business leaders out there. Maybe they have uh, what I call quote-unquote soft goals, meaning goals that they're really not challenging themselves to uh, to hit. 
you know, if you talk to any business leader, they're all, they'll all want to say, you know, I want to grow my business. I want to be 50 million. I want to be a hundred million. I want to be, you know, 200 million. I, I hear it all the time in the different business groups that I'm in, you know, they'll say, how, you know, how did you grow your business? I said, well, let me ask you a question. You want to be a hundred million. What exactly are you doing to make that happen? Right. What are the exact strategies and the exact tactics right. that you've got laid out to achieve that goal? Because if not, it's just a dream. If you want those dreams to turn into reality, you've literally got to lay out the plan. And it goes back to, again, that, that high school sports analogy of you've got to run those plays over and over and over again until you're sick of running them, until you can do them in your sleep. And that's how you're going to execute. And then that's how you're going to get to a 50, 100 million, 200 million, et cetera. You know, it's always been amazing to me that pilots, uh, you know, my cousin's a commercial airline pilot, right? Even with thousands of hours of flying experience, they're still using a checklist, Absolutely. <laughs> They're still doing those basic things. They must think, okay, we fired up the jet engines, right? You know, oh, let's go over the dumb little checklist, right? You know, <laughs> and uh, I've only done this 3,000 times, right? But they, they got to have the discipline to just do those boring, basic things. And when you talk about how you have to run the same play over and over and over again, how do you deal with that? I think people believe that you do it to become great, but some people are probably asking, well, I just can't do that. I just, it's too boring. You know, I've got ADD, you know, what do you do? Yeah, it's the hardest part, right? That's the burnout factor. Mm -hmm. You know, I talk to our team all the time. It's the grind. If you're going to be successful, you've got to go through the grind. And if you, if you're not willing to pay that price, it's going to be really hard to have sustained success for a long period of time. I mean, certainly you could have a good year here and there, but, but to your point, that pilot, you know, that's a grind, right? They're, every year they're going back for more training. Every day they're doing the same thing. And again, one mistake, uh, now all of a sudden, you know, you're jeopardizing people's lives, right? And so that's a little, little different than business. But, you know, multiple mistakes in business means you're not, you're not hitting your plan, right? Or you're not, you're not going to have a good year. Or you're going to lose a customer, et cetera. So that doing it every day is the toughest part, right? It's getting people to buy into that, that, that daily grind. It reminds me of uh, one of my favorite Jim Rohn quotes, you know, the, the weight of discipline is ounces, the weight of regret is tons. So if you want to be great and you want to do something great, you've just got to be willing to endure the boredom, the work, the relentless pursuit, right? <laughs> you know, it's just something you got to do, isn't it? Totally agree. 100%. Do you believe in the concept of the natural? Are there any people that, you know, you, you maybe it's you. I, I don't think it is from what we've talked about. But, you know, who get on the field and they're kind of a natural. Just kind of comes to them and they don't have to work very hard for it, Steve. Or, or does everybody have to work for it? Absolutely. I see that all the time. I think if they're going to, again, to sustain success long term, the natural is going to have to put the effort in. That will only get you so far, right? I mean, you see that. And then you see those individuals, they just, they're never able to take it to the next level. I see it in business. There's a superstar salesperson that is going to have a good year here and there. But if you want to have a good year, year in and year out, you got to put in the effort and you got to, you got to go through the grind, right? It's the constant prospecting. It's the constant, you know, building up your pipeline to make sure that you're going to have a successful month next month and the following month and the following month versus just being a, the natural or, or, you know, someone that's had, you know, has got some good luck. Yeah. Luck, luck comes, uh, in, in various parts of our lives, but, uh, most people don't, they don't kind of exploit the luck and turn it into anything long-term. They get a lucky break, but 
it's just that. It's a lucky break and it's short term. And uh, the real luck, if you will, goes to the person who's making the sacrifice, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. Steve, give out your website and tell people where they can find out more about you. So the website's uh, www.aus.com. And uh, you can find out more about me and uh, the book and the company uh, on that website. Fantastic. Steve Jones, thanks for joining us. The book is No Off Season, The Constant Pursuit of More. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own, and if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.